You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Today, our guest is Deanna LaSusa Hotchner. She goes by the name of Dee, and Dee is the founder of Discover the Depths, whose mission is to bring the underwater world to schools, park districts, summer camps, libraries, scuba expos, and any other groups imaginable. Dee is a volunteer for Chicago's Shedd Aquarium and an award-winning environmental photographer. She has spent the last 20 years scuba diving and sharing the underwater world in an effort to help people understand the fragile marine environment and the animals within it. When we return from our break, Dee will tell us about Humphrey, the humpback whale, the toothless white shark, and some of her amazing and innovative projects she's been involved in. But first, let's hear from those great folks who make Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates possible. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know, protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Hi, I'm John Carlin, creator and host of FinCasters. I have two passions in life. One of them is broadcasting. The other one is aquariums. FinCasters is where they meet. My goal is to create a place where you can go for consistently awesome aquarium videos. In less than a year, we've done FinCasts on everything from lionfish and sea urchin research in the Florida Keys to the keeping of discus and an examination of rare species like the freshwater garapanda. We even did a tank tour in a $16 million home. So welcome to FinCasters. Watch FinCasters on Pet Life Radio's Chomp Animal TV Network. C-H-O-M-M-M-P dot com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, and welcome to Deanna LaSouza Hotchner, who is one of Max A. Pooch's favorite awesome animal advocates. Thank you for joining us today, Dee. Thanks for having me, Keith. I'm really excited to talk to your audience about marine animals and the threats they face. Well, I think you're one of the best people I can think of to discuss this. You're really, really an amazing advocate for the marine environment and animals. How long have you been scuba diving and what drew you to it, Dee? 
I've been diving for over 20 years, and I just happened to go down to Key Largo, Florida, went on a snorkeling expedition, and I was fascinated with the beautifully colored coral reef and the fish that inhabit it, and I decided thereafter I needed to take the plunge and see and experience more, and since then I've had many adventures and traveled the world diving, and it's been a great ride. You know, that's an amazing coincidence because Key Largo is the first place I scuba dived. I mean, snorkeled. I didn't scuba dive there, but uh, got my toes wet, so to speak. And uh, I just was amazed at what I saw when I put my mask on and looked under the water. Well, that's fantastic. We're always trying to have more people become divers because once they've been in the ocean, it really captures their attention. And if you love something, then you'll definitely want to protect it. So I'm so happy you had that experience. It was really great. I want to ask you, you've been diving over 20 years. What's the biggest change you've seen in the marine environment since you began scuba diving? Unfortunately, Keith, um, one of the things that I've seen is the dying off of coral reefs. Reefs that were once vibrant with many different animals have been diminished quite greatly. There's not nearly the amount of fish on reefs and in the ocean that once were, and corals in particular have been subjected to many things like climate change, ocean acidification, and actual habitat destruction that really has impacted the biodiversity of the oceans because coral reefs are like the rainforests of the sea. So I, and that's where I primarily dive is on coral reefs, and it's been awful to see a sad decline in those pristine, beautiful worlds. And in the Caribbean in particular, there's the threat of an invasive species. The lionfish was accidentally brought into that ecosystem, and since it has no known predators and has the capability of reproducing many offspring rapidly, it's been decimating the fish population in the Caribbean. So there's not a ten, there's a tenth of the fish that were there 20 years ago. It's very Real, sad. Really? Is that the same lionfish that I see in saltwater aquarium stores yes. for sale? Yes. And they, because they're such beautiful creatures, they are very unique. They have many, many spines. They're vibrantly colored with red and white stripes, and they are a favorite of aquariums. And that's one of the things that is the theories that they have is that a lionfish had escaped from a boat that was transporting them to an aquaria shop or that some owner simply dumped them in the ocean because they didn't want to care for it anymore. That is truly amazing. You know, we think about Florida and other parts of the country having invasive species, but uh, I never thought about about the seas uh, having uh, the same thing happen to them. Absolutely. It's happened worldwide. And even with our aquaculture farming practices where we've been trying to supplement the food industry by farming fish, for example, Atlantic salmon, they have been doing Atlantic salmon farming in the Pacific Ocean, and now that species is interacting and mating with Pacific salmon, and what's coming out are called frankenfish. They're not certain whether or not these mutated fish can survive, what impact they'll have on the food chain in that ecosystem, and it's 
a real problem. You know, it's just amazing. Uh, every time I talk to you, the, uh, the information and the new knowledge that you share with me. But Dee, can you tell us about Discover the Depths, the organization that you founded? I decided to form Discover the Depths when I realized that ocean conservation issues weren't really in the forefront of people's minds. And I thought that who better than a scuba diver be an advocate for the oceans. And I decided to teach the younger generation primarily in the schools where I can reach many, many students at one time and talk to them about the threats that face the oceans and simple choices that they can make in their day-to-day lives to help the oceans. And I founded it because I have such a passion for marine conservation. And it's really taken off. It's been a great experience for me and, I, and hopefully for the children that I've been in contact with. Can you give us an example of some of the simple things that kids and adults can do? Well, one of the things that really is quite simple is practicing the three R's, reusing, recycle, reduce. Reduce, okay. There's a lot of R's. so There are a lot of R's, and I have a fourth R, and that's rethink. And I just want to have your daily choices at the forefront of your mind every time you leave a room, turn off the light, buy a programmable thermostat so that you can have your energy consumption be lowered, reduce your carbon footprint by taking public transportation, walking, biking, as opposed to using your vehicle. And it's simple things that people can do, you know, when you're brushing your teeth every day, turn off the faucet. You know, I have a kind of a gross example, but reduce your water consumption by our motto in our family is if it's yellow, it's mellow, and if it's brown, it goes down. So you can have these things be very simplistic yet effective on the oceans. Even though we live in landlocked Illinois, it still makes a big difference. Yeah, I imagine. I think another thing that people don't think about is the use of garbage disposals. I've heard that that it's one of the biggest users of water there is, and uh, we can certainly reduce that just by having compost. Absolutely. And it's great to use compost for your garden, and it saves you on fertilizer, and it enriches, by having enriched plants, that alone will help enrich the environment. You have a unique way of bringing the depths to not only kids, but uh, to the public in general. Can you tell us about Harry the Humpbacked Whale? You know, Harry was a great project because it involved a inner city school in Chicago where I just decided that I wanted to build a life-size humpback whale, and I enlisted the science club's help. And over a course of about six Saturdays working very hard, we made a 60-foot-long, 12-foot-high, 45-foot-wide whale, and it's inflatable. You can walk inside of it and see its internal anatomy. The entire whale was designed and constructed by myself, the students, and a core of volunteer divers from the Chicago Scuba Meetup Group, and we had great fun making it. And because service is an integral part of the Chicago public school system, the students received service hours for building this educational tool. And now I take Harry on the road, and he goes to park districts and schools and since he's been made in 2009, literally thousands of people have toured him, learned about humpbacks, 
unique behaviors because they sing, they spy hop, they breach, they're amazingly beautiful creatures, and yet they're endangered because they are um, hunted and they suffer from diseases as a result of pollution, you know, toxic compounds like PCP and mercury in the water, but a huge problem is marine debris. So having that tool be so interactive, it really illustrates the power that these animals have and the loss that we would suffer if they were to be removed from our earth. And then again, the things that we can do to help them are so simple. You know, talk about getting people's attention. Here's a little lady with a 60-foot whale. I mean, <laughs> I mean, people must just go, whoa. It is. It's pretty funny. When the, I love watching the children walk into their school gymnasium and their eyes pop open when they see Harry. And then when they're inside of him, the squeals of delight are so much fun to listen to. But you didn't stop with Harry. I think there's a great white shark in your life, too. Is that right? Yes, you know, I felt that it was really important to make something out of recycled plastics because when I was presenting and talking about the threats to humpbacks, one of the things that really plague humpbacks is they ingest a lot of plastics and our oceans are riddled with plastics. So I decided the next project would be to take some hard plastic recyclables and make it into something unique. And I thought, well, what really captures the public attention and great white sharks? People are so very much afraid of sharks, and and a lot of people will not go into the ocean based upon that fear. It's really a primal fear of going into the ocean because they're afraid that once they go in, immediately they're going to be eaten by a shark. And that's the farthest thing that could, from the truth. So we decided to go back to the inner city school, Westinghouse College Prep, and this time the environmental club got involved, and we had the same group of volunteer divers. The students collected, cleaned, and constructed this shark. We had no idea how this was going to come about and what we would do, but it was a really unique fusion of art and science by looking at, okay, I have a Dr. Pepper bottle. I have, oh, wow, I have 20 Dr. Pepper bottles. What can I do with those? Well, let's make them into the vertebrae of the shark. And then the students were able to not only learn about great white sharks, internal anatomy, their external anatomy, but also their behaviors, which are very interesting, such as solitary hunting, breaching while they hunt. There's a population in South Africa that does that and also how threatened they are. And it was a great learning process for the students. We have gone to Our World Underwater Scuba Expo. The students were able to teach people what they had learned. They were also introduced to many people within the scuba diving industry so that as high school students, they could start to think about careers outside of you know, Chicago, outside of the United States, and they also were introduced to scuba diving. We had a Discover Scuba where they had would never have had that opportunity to try scuba diving. And it's just, I've done three programs like that now, and they've been a tremendous success. 
Well, you know, it sounds really great because you're getting, you mentioned art, sciences, biology, uh, marine biology. You're getting all these different disciplines and interests and then making something. And there's never, I think, anything as satisfying as, as crafting something. And I just can imagine the kids when they're partaking in uh, making a 60-foot whale or a 13-foot white shark. That's just got to be fantastic to see the kids and their enthusiasm. You know, and it's was, it's been really interesting to see these students develop over time. I had one student who was involved in the whale program and the shark program, and he went on to become a student worker at the Shedd Aquarium. He had to, it was a very rigorous application process. He was accepted twice into the program. His twin sister decided to follow his footsteps. She was accepted into the program. Then he decided he wanted to learn more and applied for a research biology trip to the Bahamas that the Shedd Aquarium runs. He got accepted into that, and now he's decided that he will pursue a career in marine biology. And having reached a student and having him take that path has been so gratifying for me. It must be. And for our audience who uh, doesn't know who the Shedd Aquarium is, can you tell us uh, just a brief description of of the Shedd Aquarium and how large it is? It is one of the largest aquariums in the world. It's based in Chicago. It's one of my favorite places to be because they house over 3,600 species, very different ecosystems ranging from the Pacific Northwest, the Caribbean Sea, Amazon River, the wild reefs of the Philippines, and I am so fortunate to be a volunteer diver there. And every time I go to the Shedd Aquarium, I learn something new, and it brings the ocean world to life for hundreds of thousands of people each year. Yeah, I know our kids just love it, and what a, it's a really great experience for being in landlocked Chicago to be able to at least get a glimpse of the uh, marine environment. But we need to take a break right now so you can hear from the folks who help bring Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates to you. And make sure you stay with us because when we return, Dee is going to tell us an amazing story about a giant squid. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets, struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com. Then come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Are you crazy about cats? If so, check out The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition. This clever how-to manual for cats, written by a cat named Quasi, contains more laughs than should be allowable in one book, and is poignantly underscored by the combative yet loving relationship between Quasi and his human. The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition, is guaranteed to have you laughing your tail off. So, treat yourself to a copy today. Available from Amazon. 
Aquariums and pond keeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, welcoming you back to Maxi Pooch's awesome animal advocates and our guest, Deanna Lasusa Hotchner, who is one of Maxi Pooch's favorite awesome animal advocates. Dee, I hear there's a giant squid in your life right now. What's this all about? Well, it's actually a colossal squid, Keith, and there is a difference between giant squid and colossal squid. Giant squid are very big, but the colossal squid is much larger and heavier, weighs more than the giant squid, and it has a massive stabilizing fin that the giant squid don't possess. And this stabilizing fin enables the colossal squid to not only move forwards, but it can move backwards. It can levitate up. It can levitate down while it's in a horizontal position. And I chose the colossal squid because they're a very mysterious animal. They have rarely been seen alive. There's only one that's been seen alive. It was captured by a fishing trawler down in the Arctic Ocean near New Zealand, and it was brought up, and the fishermen decided that they would capture it. They froze it. They brought it to a natural history museum in New Zealand where it was dissected, and the scientists there were able to learn so much about this mysterious creature, and it's now on display at this museum in New Zealand. And what we decided to do was to carry on that message of reducing the amount of plastics that you use by building this colossal squid out of recycled bags. The reason I chose that medium is because the percentage of recycled bags is only 12%, and worldwide, billions of plastic bags are being used on a daily basis, such to the extent that many communities are realizing how much of these plastic bags are ending up in the ocean, that they're creating bans on using plastic bags and requiring people to use reusable bags, which to me is so heartening that these grassroots movements are taking place and really becoming the forefront of people's minds and what they can do to reduce the amount of plastic that is going into the oceans. Yeah, that's a good object lesson. So the kids are learning about the pollution. And can you tell us a little bit who are you working with this time and uh, just how big this colossal squid is going to be? We are working with students at Schurz High School in Chicago. 
And the students have been from two disciplines. It's very interesting. We're calling the project Artology because, again, we're fusing art and science. And so we've attracted a number of art students who are very interested in the process of fusing the plastics together, but we're also attracting science students because we have offered a, uh, the students did a squid dissection led by a marine scientist before we even started making the squid so that they could see the internal anatomy, the external anatomy, actually feel the texture, see the shape, hold it in their hands. And it was such a unique experience. While they were dissecting the squid, they were also sketching the squid and the different parts of the squid. So that object lesson right there was amazing. And then we had the students draw a colossal squid, and that's about 20 feet long. And it will ultimately end up to be that size. Again, it will be life-size, so we will have it be inflatable, and it will have a really abstract look to it this time. Well, Harry was very realistic, and Toothless, the Great White Shark, was more, we were trying more to be anatomically correct. We're really bringing in an artistic expression. This is going to be much more a work of art. And so far, it's been an extremely interesting process to go through because there's a lot of engineering that has taken place. We've started off with sketches, then we made paper models, then we started off with very small prototypes of the different body parts, then we started with life-size prototypes just to see how things would work. And so on the stabilizing fin, we went through at least five or six prototypes before we actually made the final product. And the students stuck with it. They persevered until we found something that worked and is engineered perfectly. And once we've got that process down, now the construction of the squid is, is going really well. But it's with a after-school program funded by Chicago Public Schools and the Columbia College of Arts. And it will be continue into the fall. And we'll finish the squid, and then we're going to start on a coral reef made of hard plastics. So the Does the squid have a name? Yes. It is named Ishmael. And I don't know if you've ever read Mark Tatui's comic strip, Leo. Leo is an eccentric little boy who has a pet squid, and his squid is Ishmael, and affectionately known as Ishi. And so that's what we've decided to name him. Well, that sounds great. And, uh, you know, your mention of plastic again and again, that's one of the reasons you're Maxi Pooch's favorites because of your efforts to educate people about plastic and what it's doing to the marine environment. And I was wondering, can you give us some other examples how plastic is harming marine birds, fish, and animals? Yes. The problem with plastics is that it doesn't biodegrade, it photodegrades, and that means it needs the sunlight and the wave and water action to break it down. And every piece of plastic ever made still exists today. When you think about that, plastics have been made since the 1800s. So where is all this plastic going? going into the land, but mostly it's going into the ocean to the tune of 14 billion pounds per year. So when it's breaking down, it breaks down into very minute pieces and particles. So what scientists have done is they've taken water samples 
And when they've taken water samples, they've found that for every plankton, which is a very minuscule animal, part of the bottom of the food chain in the ocean, there's 40 pieces of plastic. So that is impacting the ocean ecosystem by, one, crowding out the plankton, creating shade, and the plankton need the sunlight to survive. So the very bottom of the ocean food chain is being diminished. Then animals like marine birds and fish are mistaking the plastic for plankton. They're eating it. Well, plastic, when it's in the ocean, it acts like a sponge for the toxins that are in the ocean. So that plastic becomes even more toxic-laden. And as we well know, there are BPAs in plastic. So when the toxic-laden plastic is ingested by these animals, for instance, birds, marine birds will scoop this up thinking that it's food and then in turn regurgitate it to feed their young. And many marine birds have been found and dissected and have their stomachs have literally been full to the point of bursting with plastics. And the same goes for many species of fish and even sea turtles. If there are plastic bags in the ocean, well, sea turtles feed on jellyfish and they mistake the plastic bags for jellyfish. And then for large marine mammals such as whales, they start to feed on plastics as well, discarded fishing nets. You know, they get, and that gets entangled within other plastics. And so the whales are mistaking it for food. And as time goes on, I've read and seen more and more reports of animals being found with plastics in their system and they're dying because their stomachs feel full, they don't feel the need to eat, and then the toxins are in their system. So it's creating a huge die-off of many, many marine animals. And when you start impacting the ocean ecosystem, it's going to impact the food chain and it's going to have a cascade effect. And what scientists are predicting is that the catch of the day will be jellies. Sea jellies are very adaptable to temperature, very adaptable to sunlight changes, very adaptable to the amount of food in the water. And so there's been known as jellyfish blooms to the extent that jellies have been sinking shrimp trawling ships. A cargo carrier was disabled and a power plant in Fiji was shut down because it sucked in so many jellies into its cooling system. Wow, that's amazing. That is just amazing. You enjoy working with kids and I know one of the ways you do it is at a show called Our World Underwater that is a scuba and travel show held each year in Chicago. Can you tell us a bit about what you do and why you do it at Our World Underwater? I love Our World Underwater. It's the biggest scuba expo in the Midwest and I've been a for a long time I attended and then I decided I wanted to participate and start a children's program. So I've been the coordinator of Our World Underwater scuba program since 2007 and it started off very simply where I just would have ocean related crafts for the children and I would recruit volunteer divers so that when the children were making their crafts they could hear about the divers 
interactions with those animals and, and how they've seen them in the ocean and, and the crazy, wacky things that sometimes these animals do. And then over time, it really evolved into a place where we could start teaching children about the marine animals more intensively and have a as a focal point for many marine conservation issues. And we've added Harry the Humpback, and we've brought Toothless the Great White Shark, and this coming year we will bring Ishi the, the Squid in and our Coral Reef as well. And we've now evolved into having the children make shark fins that they wear around the expo because, and having them put messages such as stop finning because the shark finning industry has decimated 90% of the shark population. We've had them make little fish out of recycled plastic water bottles. Again, all these things, like you said before, where they have a sense of accomplishing something, finishing it, and then they, we encourage them to go on and tell the grown-ups in their lives about these animals and things that they can do to help the oceans. Wow, that sounds like it must be very successful. And it probably gives the adults a place to leave their kids when they are going and looking at the travel and uh, scuba exhibits also. Is that right? Well, you know what's funny? You see the adults become just as entranced with our educational tools and our crafts as the kids. So it's been great for teaching the adults these things because I've had people look at Toothless the Shark and, uh, and on his exhibit we have lots of environmental messages regarding plastics and the shark finning industry and I've had people come up to me saying I never knew that and you know this is really important to to know so I asked them to spread the word and it's really fun to see the parents sit down with their children and create something of their own and they're just as into it as the kids are so it's been it's been a lot of fun it really has been great it sounds it it sounds it now you do more than just and i should shouldn't say just but you do more than make sharks and and uh, humpback whales but you also have um, videos and other educational materials that you show can you describe some of those to us Yes. Um, when I'm giving a presentation to the schools and park districts and libraries, I always try to make it as interactive and entertaining as possible. And so I always have lots of underwater videos showing the children these animals and their unique adaptations and behaviors. For example, you know, having traveled to Hawaii and seeing humpback whales breach and and spy hop and investigate the boats that I've been in and sharing my experiences with the children of when I've been scuba diving and hearing the humpback whales songs or showing them videos of when I went cage diving at Guadalupe Island with great white sharks and you know having the experience of watching these animals as large as SUVs streaming past me while I'm in this little cage has just been, you know, a heart-throbbing experience. And children really pick up on the music and the sounds and the videos in these entertaining but yet educational presentations. And I try to let the children share what they know because children these days, you know, with the Internet and cable television, sometimes they'll stump me with the information they know, you know, saying things that I had no idea. And so I'm learning just as much from them as they are from me. 
which is fantastic. Well, that's good. It's because uh, it doesn't get stale that way, does it? Oh, never. It's never a tough moment, that's for sure. And what can our listeners do to learn more about Discover the Depths, and what can they do to reduce the harm that plastic and, and pollution is doing to the marine animals and the environment? Well, if they want to learn more about Discover the Depths, I encourage them to visit my website, www.discoverthedepths.com, and they're more than welcome to check out our media page where I have recommendations for different movies that talk about the marine issues that I've discussed. Sharkwater is an excellent film that really uncovers the nasty side of the shark finning industry. The Cove is a very intense, dramatic film that is discussing the impact of the Japanese herding wild dolphins into a particular cove, culling them for the aquarium and sea show trade, and then simply killing them. It's well. it's my my understanding that almost every seashow dolphin that one is apt to come across probably came from the uh, the cove, or a lot many of them did anyway. Is that right? Yes, but what's that is correct. But one of the things that aquariums have been doing and have been successful at, especially the Shed Aquarium, is having a breeding program. And the Shed alone has had three or four captive-bred dolphins and beluga whales to use in their program. So at least they're not taking these animals from the wild. If I were concerned about that, I might want to check where the stock came from before I went to a to um, say a an exhibit or a, a show uh, using wild animals. Is, would that be a good advice? Yes, that would be a great environmental practice. And in, in answering the other part of your your question, Keith, in terms of what can people do, there are so many things they can do. But one, of, I'll just address some of the things that, you know, in terms of the major problems that the oceans experience. Marine debris, huge problem with the amount of debris that's in the ocean. If they just make a conscious effort to practice the three R's and to recycle as much as possible, and there's a movement to um, by the plastic coalition where they say refuse plastic and they have great tips on their website and Facebook page. Something as simple as bringing your own containers to the grocery store. So instead of using their plastic containers that would, you know, how long would you be using that plastic container for or that bag? So a reusable bag would be fantastic. And then in terms of ocean acidification, where we're putting, pumping so much CO2 into the environment, well, most of the CO2 exchange occurs in the oceans, and that's creating acidic oceans. And if we continue to do that by 2050, the oceans are going to become uninhabitable for animals, but it's also going to impact humans because humans mistakenly believe that we get most of our air from the rainforest and from land, it's not. It's from the oceans. So if we don't take care of our oceans, it's ultimately going to kill us. So you know, reducing their carbon footprint, reducing the amount of energy output that they use, and it's something as simple as putting all of your electronic devices, you know all those little green lights that show that something's on or that something's charging? Uh-huh. Put, it into a, put it into a power strip, turn that off, and then all those digital displays will be off and not sucking up energy, but it also will save you money 
something very simple like that, reducing the amount of water consumption that you use. Say you get a rain barrel, and in it you collect that rainwater to wash your car, to water your garden. Simple things like that in your day-to-day life can make a huge impact on the oceans. Yeah, I know here in the Midwest, so many people think what they do creates no harm. And, you know, I'll tell them, well, you know, right here in the Chicago area, if you throw something away, it could end up in the Gulf of Mexico or in the North Atlantic at some point in time. Absolutely. There's a saying is that we all live downstream. The Mississippi River Basin is huge. People don't realize how many states it encompasses, and it all leads into the Gulf of Mexico. And from there, because of ocean currents, it can end up all over the world. For example, after Japan's tsunami, we were finding things from Japan on our Pacific shores. That's just amazing. It really shows just how interconnected the world is. Dee, I ask each of my guests this question, and that's with all the human misery and suffering there is in the world. How can you justify advocating for marine animals? You know, I don't want to minimize the problems of starvation, illiteracy, lack of clean drinking water in our world. There is much human suffering. But I feel very strongly that if we don't protect our oceans and our animals, we are going to, in the end, ultimately harm ourselves. In many countries, the oceans provide a source of protein for people's diets. And overfishing is occurring at such a horrible rate that by the year 2050, there will be no fish left in the ocean. And I have two children that are young, and I feel that if I don't do something now, the legacy that I would leave them and all the other children in the world is an ocean pleaded of magnificent animals and the biodiversity and the wonder of nature alone is worth fighting for and that's my passion well that certainly is you know a a passion worth um, advocating and um, you know we're running out of time but one more time if you could uh, tell everyone what your website is and and how to contact you for more information absolutely it's www.discoverthedepths.com and you're more than welcome to email me, D-D-E-E, at discoverthedepths.com. Well, thank you for being with us today, D. Oh, Keith, I enjoyed it so much, and I really appreciate the opportunity to spread my message. It's an important one, and, and I think it's one that we all have to listen to. And again, I want to thank you for being with us, and I want to thank our listeners for spending their valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about us. And thanks again to Dee for being with us. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.